behind money, money is just a symbol. Huh. There's an emotional thing. And so I, as I was listening to you, I was thinking, all right, I wonder what makes it, you know, so frustrating for uh, Jessica. I know for me, um, my parents were really, really horrible with their bill paying. They always had um, actual bill collectors coming and, um, you know, coming after them. And when they would call, they would, my parents totally inappropriately would have me answer the phone and get rid of them. So I think for me, emotionally, having to deal with all of that, it's like, I did this already. know that the average age a person is widowed is 59. So, Dr. Karen Sherman joins us this week to discuss how can we prepare for life post-marriage. Stay tuned. I'm going to keep this short. First, thank you for listening. If you're a regular listener, I would greatly appreciate it if you would leave a review on whatever platform you listen to us on. This will help others discover us. Also, if you like the podcast, I highly recommend visiting our website, hitchedmag.com, which is updated daily with new content and where you will find thousands of articles available anytime. Lastly, I understand that not everything we talk about applies to everyone. However, I am confident that if you go to hitchmag.com and subscribe to our free weekly newsletter, that you will find at least one and probably more pieces of information each week that will help your marriage thrive. I hope you enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is Steve Cooper, editor-in-chief of HitchedMag.com. I am joined once again by the lovely, the brilliant, the original Dr. Karen Sherman. Hi, Karen. Hi, Steve. It is always great to have you on, Karen. Um, And today we are going to talk about preparing for post-marriage. I know we... Like the whole point of Hitched is to help couples live happily ever after. But you know what? We wouldn't be doing our job if we didn't come to re- come to grips with the fact that um, there is a death to till do us part. Um, there is divorce that happens, unfortunately. And so um, to ignore those factors, uh, we just wouldn't be doing our job responsibly. So um, one of the interesting things I think is – I was reading this article today, and it talked about how um, the average age of a widow in the U.S. is 59 years old, which I found actually really surprising and kind of low, considering that we know the life expectancy is much higher than that for both men and women. So that that was Mm kind of interesting. Um, But then the other thing that it added was – at a particular age group, and I think this would apply, I think if you're 59 years old, you would be a baby boomer. So um, it showed that 64% of baby boomer men are the dominant investment decision makers in their home. Um, Yes. But Mm -hmm. surprising, and I don't know, maybe this isn't surprising, but I found it a little bit surprising, was that only 9% of baby boomer women take on the dominant role of investing in the family assets. Um, so, you know, I was I was reading that and I was thinking, well, of course there's so much anxiety and uh, those kind of emotions going on in the world today because at that age, um, people are, are passing away and you just aren't prepared at all. Um, so 
this obviously doesn't even take into account that divorce, for example, happens like right around 30 years old for the average age of a first divorce for women. So um, for those who do get divorced, which we also I want to throw out there is less than 50 percent. We can stop with that nonsense. Um, so, Karen, with all that being said and taken into consideration, uh, what what type of planning do you think couples should make, and should it just be about financial security? Well, before I go to that question, let me say that I think there is anxiety and concern and stress, regardless of whether you're 59 or 69 or 79. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the whole um, issue is a very scary phenomena especially if you're not prepared. And to that, I'm going to add that um, in um, cons- consistent with your um, statistics, I am a baby boomer and my husband is in charge of the investing and the finances. And to my unhappy statements about myself, I really don't know much about it. Um, I don't like details. Um, And so, you know, when we go to our accountant or we go to our financial advisor, I go in and I say to myself, okay, you really, really have to listen and pay attention and, you know, find out what's going on here. It's for my own good. And about three sentences in, I start to glaze over. Um, And Richie is just really, really good with all of that. And so I have let him take care of it. Um, And that's really not a good thing. And I know it's not a good thing. Yeah. Can I uh, jump in as well, um, if you don't mind? So it's funny because uh, my wife and I, Jess, uh, Jessica, uh, she... um, she used to be a lot more involved in our finances uh, mm-hmm. and used to do the bills and things like that. And then every time she did the bills, she would get stressed out and frustrated. And mm-hmm. it just like she, emotionally, it was like a draining, taxing process for her. Um, mm-hmm. And so it came to a point uh, where she was like, you know what? I just can't do the bills anymore. And it wasn't like we weren't mm-hmm. able to pay the bills or anything. It was just that process of of yeah. seeing the money come and go and all that stuff. And so she handed off the responsibilities to me. And so now I handle all that stuff. And I also am the one who does the grocery shopping and all all the other like big kind of stuff like that. Um, and I think we recently had a talk uh, on a podcast where it was mentioned that we have come to an agreement about a budget. So we both have our own personal budget that we can spend on whatever we want without, and that remove mm-hmm. the emotional anxiety about spending that money. But otherwise mm-hmm. I essentially handle everything. Um, and then the one last thing that I was going to mention though, is with all that being said, however, uh, Jess does, we, we use this third party app called mint. It's um, we're not, they're not a paid sponsor. It's just a really cool app that I think is really great service. Um, and it essentially will take all your financial data and, uh, consolidate it into one place and then analyze it for you and show you where you're spending, what you're spending it on, et cetera. Mm. cetera. Mm-hmm. And so she has actually organized all of that. So she does have some involvement in it, but she lets me handle the day to day cause it just kind of wigs her out a little bit. So, um, while, you know, the younger generation, 
uh, we like to talk about how progressive we are and all that kind of stuff. It's still like, <laughs> as you were saying that, I was like, oh yeah, like Jess and I totally fall into that statistical yeah. traditional role that we, that I'm staring at. So yeah. 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 Um, and I, I hesitate to do this cause it's still going to take us on to another tiny little tangent, <laughs> sure. but we discussed this, uh, at another point as well that, um, Behind money, money is just a symbol. Uh There's an emotional thing. And so I, as I was listening to you, I was thinking, all right, I wonder what makes it, you know, so frustrating for uh, Jessica. I know for me, um, my parents were really, really horrible with their bill paying. They always had um, actual bill collectors coming and, um, you know, coming after them. And when they would call, they would, my parents totally inappropriately would have me answer the phone and get rid of them. So I think for me, emotionally having to deal with all of that, it's like, I did this already. I, mm. I wasn't at the appropriate age, but I did this already. I don't want to handle it. So the reason I'm bringing it up is because as we've discussed on a prior podcast, If this whole discussion becomes difficult, what the couple might do is look at what's the emotion behind it? Why is it difficult to talk about it? Mm -hmm. So, you know, at the end, how you always say, what else have you got to say? Mm -hmm. I'm giving it to you up front. You know, (laughs) that may be part of what uh, makes it... um, just a stuck point in the discussion. So go to the emotion as yeah. to, you know, why you're having trouble discussing this whole topic. Mm-hmm. Okay. So going back to your original question, yeah, which was what type of planning should couples make? Yeah. Uh, obviously, I do think there needs to be a discussion about finances at the very least where are papers filed? Who can you call um, who might know about your finances? So, for instance, we have a financial advisor that I really trust, and I know that, God forbid, if Richie predeceases me, I call him, and you know I trust that he's going to be able to guide me and everything. Um, I think that you should also be discussing uh, what your wishes are as far as funerals. Mm-hmm. And, um, y- you know, if you're also in a situation where you're really ill and whether you want to have, um, you know, major kinds of efforts put forth for your health. Now, none of these are sexy discussions, but if you're ever in that situation, if you don't know what your spouse wants, then it makes it that much more difficult. Mm -hmm. So I think that if you have these talks and you know exactly what the needs are of your spouse, it makes it easier and provides some guidelines for how you proceed in those situations. So I think there are a lot of issues that have to be talked about. Yeah. It's, um, it's interesting. You, you just mentioned that it's not like a, something sexy to talk about. We did an article recently on life insurance on the website mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the, the person who contributed the, the article was an agent and they talked about how selling life insurance is so different from all other types of insurance because mm-hmm. you have to basically prepare people for death. You have to talk to them about this insurance. It's not getting into a fender bender. It is, <laughs> we're going to talk about your death now. 
and trying to sell them on right. death, which is like a really interesting twist on how you would think about it. But that's essentially right. what, what you need to do in some instances. So, right. Um, right. So we talked about um, the emotions behind money and whatnot, um, but also thinking about emotional preparation, uh, just in mm-hmm. general. Um, is there is there any kind of preparation you can do or support group that you should look I, into? I, is this just like I don't or really what? think so. I think the only support group that you might get involved in is again if your spouse is in some kind of a chronically ill situation like mm-hmm. Alzheimer's or um, you know paraplegic or something like that. It, you might you would get benefit probably from being in a support group. Um, but I don't think there's any way that you can think, talk about, well, if you die, I'm going to go into a support group. And quite frankly, I don't even know that you know that um, until the time occurs. And for some people, I don't know what the timing is. I can't say, oh, you must get into a support group right away. Uh, For some people, um, they do need it right away. And for others, it's more appropriate at a later time. So I don't know that you can really prepare for that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, So we're talking right now about how it's necessary to at least understand this information. Mm -hmm. Do you have any tips on how you can approach your spouse to to start this conversation or are there any things to avoid when you're doing so? Well, I think what you have to do is say, you know, maybe I was reading an article or I heard this podcast and this is not you know, a sexy conversation. Uh This is not an easy conversation, but I think we we have to look at this a little bit at least, um, if nothing else, because um, I need some help dealing with it. Um, You know, I I don't know how I'm going to approach certain things, uh, especially a woman if she's in the situation where she has not been aware of the finances. You know, there are certain things I don't know, even things like I don't know where things in the house are where the turnoff valve is for so-and-so, you know, the numbers I call um, if I need certain help, you know, I I, I need to know that. Um, I've heard of many male clients when they're going in for a very difficult surgery or one that could be life-threatening, they actually write out instructions um, and they say to their wives, I know you don't want to talk about this, so I want you to know I've left very specific instructions for you some, you know, at a certain, in, in a certain place. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that it has to be presented as, again, you know, as much as we don't like to talk about this, um, it's really the most caring, loving thing we can do for one another um, when one of us is going to be absent. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's interesting because you, the instruction thing, it's actually something I've been thinking about myself. Um, as you know, Jess and I recently moved, um, and so this new place that we're in, has all sorts of stuff that that are that's new to me and her for that matter, mm-hmm. and so we're discovering uh, home ownership for the first time. And to your point, like where do we shut off the gas? Where do we shut off the water? Where what switches do what right. for the electricity grid and all that stuff? And I've been thinking about making 
a like a homeowner's manual like you would have for mm-hmm. a car so that um, mm-hmm. it would just be this like really great reference guide. Um, and I think that would be one way that you could move forward on this, which gets into my next question about um, doing this kind of prep work, even if your spouse doesn't want to get on board or doesn't want to discuss it. Um, yeah. Yes, I, I think absolutely. That that would be a great way to do it. If your mate just, you know, can't bring themselves to discuss it, um, if you're the one that's in charge of the details, writing them out so that you know that it's there available and just say, look, this is what I've done and, and this is where you'll, you can access it. Mm-hmm. Now, if if you know that they don't want to talk about it or that it makes them uncomfortable or something like that, is this something that you should just do and make one simple statement and leave it alone? Or is this something that you should try to get them on board with? Well, you you know, again, going back to your last question, I think that, you know, you should try to have a discussion, but if they're absolutely resistant to it, you can't force them to. So again, I think the next best thing is, you know, to do this preparation and just say, you know, I'm all, I always want to talk about, it. or even if you write this stuff out, that doesn't mean that you can't approach them at another point mm-hmm. and say, like, for instance, let's say you always hear these horrible stories about somebody who went to the doctor, got a clean bill of health, and then the next day dropped dead of a heart attack. Mm-hmm. You know, I just heard about blah, blah, you know, the so-and-so. It, it just really makes me nervous that Really, none of us ever know when things are going to happen. I really think, you know, we should have a little bit of a discussion about this. And again, you can keep trying to bring it up, but if you are with a partner who just refuses, have the information and put it somewhere where you let them know where it is. Mm-hmm. This is, um, I, I love that you talk about bringing it up again, because as I get older, this is something that I'm trying to be better about, which is finding... Mm-hmm. Finding the entry points into conversations more naturally. Mm-hmm. Because I think a lot of people mm-hmm. have these ideas or thoughts, and I just want to like spew them out to people as soon as they come to my head. But then <laughs> <laughs> uh, I should have a podcast. Um, but I, I'm, I'm trying to get better about, you know, I can hold those thoughts. It's okay because it's not necessary for the that moment. And when it comes out more naturally, when we're having the conversation to your point, when you read about something and then you and your spouse start talking about it, um, you know, there's scandals happening with like the whole college admissions thing. Um, Mm -hmm. you can then raise your concerns about NCAA policies and whatnot. So you can find time to inject your thoughts and opinions in these things. Um, when, when, when there's something that happens in like current events, I think that I find that's like a very good, useful uh, process for myself, at least. Yes, I I think your suggestion of looking for your entry points and piggyback um, piggybacking your topic on it is is a very good idea. I like that. Mm-hmm. And particularly when we're talking about this very specific subject, I mean, there's almost always somebody, unfortunately, I hate to say this, but there's almost somebody that in your life that is dealing with some sort of health issue. Um, and so mm-hmm. you can start a conversation about that person um, and then segue into what you want to really get into. Uh, mm-hmm. Not disingenuously, by the way. I, I don't mean to make light of somebody else's. Oh, of course. No, 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 no. Right. Yeah, yeah, of so. course. <laughs> um, 
Okay, so uh, I just wanted to say that for the cynics out there. Um, okay, so then um, my last question I have for you, Karen, is... Now, again, we've talked about this in the past, about how a lot of couples will maintain separate bank accounts. Um, do you think in those instances that the spouse should have access to those accounts and, and scenarios that we're talking about today? Um, and then, moreover... Um, access to passwords and other private information? Well, you know, I think certainly it would be nice if each person in the relationship felt comfortable having the other person look at their, um, you know, their situation, their finances, etc. But for couples who don't, we want to be respectful of that mm-hmm. for whatever their reasons are. That being said, I think it's really important to have a file on your passwords and put it again someplace safe and let your partner know when the time comes here's where you can find my passwords. I'm reminded of somebody in my family whose husband passed and she could not, not that he purposely did it. It was just, it was an oversight. She could not get access to certain things and it was a mess. And meanwhile, various companies were calling and saying, this is due, that's due. And I said, you know, there ought to be some kind of a law that like for the first six months, you, you leave a widow alone. You mm-hmm. don't require that they pay things because you're so emotionally distraught. You can't think clearly how to find things and track things down, etc. So I think, again, it would behoove you when you're both alive to create your passwords. And if you don't want to share them when you're living, at least let your partner know how they can find the password so that they can access accounts or know where things are in the case that you do pass. Mm-hmm. Um, I So a hot tip for you li- listeners out there. Uh, I know a lot of um, People don't like sharing their passcodes for their phones and computers and things, um, which I, I understand. But with that, I also feel like if you're doing something that you don't want your spouse to find out about, you probably shouldn't be doing it at all. So if that's messages you're sending on your phone, then maybe you shouldn't be sending those messages. So um, giving your spouse access to that stuff is probably a good idea in general. Um, So not that I advocate for like spyware and stuff like that. But with that being said, um, a thing that I have found useful for my spouse and I is that we both have um, newer phones that offer biometric security. So fingerprint facial recognition Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can set it up for multiple profiles. So you can set it up so that my face will unlock her phone and vice versa. Mm. And through that, we, I gain access to all of her financial apps and email and all that other stuff. If I needed it in the future. Um, Also, there are built in password saving um, applications within operating systems now. So a lot of people use Chrome and their Chrome will save passwords. Those passwords are accessible through Chrome. And in Safari and iOS, there is a program for Apple iPhones. Um, there's a program called Keychain and Keychain will save all your passwords and stuff. And in order to access that, you need 
access to the operating the main operating system so you need to be able to unlock the phone itself you need that password to get into the main passwords um so if you give yourself again this is a long way of saying that passwords are a pain in the ass um but if you give your spouse biometric access to your phone um that will depending on the operating system that will unlock the passwords that they also have on that. So they don't need to remember where you stored it or anything. They just need to have their, mm. their face with them and they can unlock all your passwords. So, uh, hmm. so there's great there's information, that. Steve. Yeah. So there's that. So hopefully that, yeah, helps somebody and put somebody's mind at ease just a smidge. Um, I could do a whole thing on security and passwords and whatnot because I find most <laughs> uh, most practices are just painful uh, and yeah. So, anyways, uh, one other hot tip: don't put your passwords on a sticky note and stick it to your monitor, and also don't write your passwords down in a notepad and stick it right next to your computer. Those are both terrible ideas, uh, just in terms of security. Just so you know. Um, it's as bad as your, um, you know, using your birthday or something like that. So, um, I know that we have already gone through the, do you have anything else to add Karen? Um, so I think <laughs> that will do it for us this week and we can wrap this one up. So, uh, thank you so much for your time. It was always a pleasure. And I think this was really helpful. So thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you. My pleasure. And with that, we are going to wrap it up this week. So thank you so much for tuning in and listening. Uh, I want to remind you that you have been listening to Dr. Karen Sherman, who is a practicing psychologist and relationship and lifestyle issues for 30 years. Karen is the author of Mindfulness and the Art of Choice, Transform Your Life. She is also the co-author of Marriage Magic, Find It, Keep It, and Make It Last. You can get this and more information at our website, hitchedmag.com. You can find Karen at her website, Dr. DrKarenSherman.com and um, yeah, that, that'll do it for us. We'll wrap it up there. So one last time, thank you so much and have a great week, everybody.